Welcome, listeners, to the QBS Express, the ACEC Kansas podcast series. I'm your host, ACC Kansas Executive Director Scott Heidner. We're recording today at the ACC Kansas office in Topeka, and I am very excited to have as my guests <clears throat> Dr. Gary Clark, the Interim Dean of Engineering at Kansas State University, Arvin Aga, the Dean of Engineering at the University of Kansas, and Dennis Levesey, the Dean of Engineering at Wichita State University. Welcome to all three of you gentlemen. And today we're going to be talking about a kind of a hidden public policy treasure for the state of Kansas, the University Engineering Initiatives Act. Um, honestly, we just refer to it typically as the Engineering Initiative Act. We, we always forget to use the U, but listeners, if you hear us use the acronym UEIA today, that's it. That's the University Engineering Initiatives Act. Uh, and excited that you all made time to stop by and share some of your experiences and some of your expertise uh, regarding this act and how it's affected Kansas Engineering Colleges. And, and as we'll find out on the podcast today, a lot more than just the engineering colleges. You know, the industry, the state itself, the workforce, the youth, the whole nine yards. So uh, let's start back at the beginning. The UEIA passed initially as roughly eight years ago. Um, when was it officially passed? When did it come into, into play? Actually, the, it came about in, in uh, 2011, but it was a few years prior to that mm-hmm. that we had industry in the state that came to the three engineering deans at the time, and they said, hey, we've got to have more workforce out there. We need more engineering grads to support our industry. So they worked with those three deans and also a lot of local legislators at that time to pull this together. So it took a few years to get to that point, but the act, the bill was passed on May 25th of 2011. And before we get off of that topic, so it wasn't the universities that came and brought the urgency of this initiative uh, in the beginning, it was industry? That's exactly right. They saw their workforce growing, um, and as we've kind of seen lately, uh, there's an aging boomer population, so they're seeing retirements, they're seeing growth at the same time, and they're saying, we've got to have this workforce to continue to grow. And I assume, uh, you know, we were engaged, um, ACC was engaged, KSPE, the Society of Professional Engineers, is really the lead stakeholder group on this on the engineering side, but ACC was engaged in that, and there were a lot of challenges at the time getting this passed. It was kind of new uh, to the state of Kansas. Actually, we'll talk a little bit more later in the podcast of how it's kind of cutting edge nationally, really. But um, what were some of the challenges you faced in getting this whole concept sold in terms of the benefits to the state? I think initially, well, well, initially they wanted to double the production of engineering grads, so we had to negotiate on, on what that would be like because that would be a, a huge task. But, but we're looking at 56 to 60% grad rate increase, and we've already achieved that, which is a, a, an accolade. We also worked a lot with industry, and that industry continued to be a partner throughout the early stages of this. They came forward and met with the, met with the state leaders to help convince them that this is what's really needed. And, and it was in all of our best benefits to keep this going. Yeah. So really, you know, once we, once we got that, then each of the three schools started looking at ind- independently, okay, what do we need to do 
to make sure we're filling this pipeline. And it's a little bit different for each of us. And we had to look at facilities. We had to look at the faculty that we're doing and then and look at other types of student support activities that we're, we're going to do and, and how we're going to use those monies to achieve that. So we always have, you know, good-natured rivalries amongst our three, you know, <laughs> largest state schools. <laughs> Although some, depending on the sport, sometimes the rivalries are a little less than others. But since it's football season and I'm a Jayhawk, we won't get into that. But... <laughs> uh, Having said that, uh, was there any difficulty with your universities uh, in terms of collaborating to push for this and uh, how it gets allocated and that kind of thing? Or was this um, a pretty consensus, unanimous message that you brought forward? I guess I'll chime in again on that one. It, 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 it's a partnership. So there, we had to go. We had to grow by 490 grads. There's a, the, the pool of money was divided in thirds, and we said, hey, we're going to be responsible for a third of that growth, and it's a collective thing. It's not a competition between any of the schools because we're all in this together. Yeah. And that's what's nice. I mean, we, and we've worked together over the years very, very well on this. We, yeah. take, we take sports out of it, but, but all of us are working <laughs> on the academic side and, and producing those good grads that are going out and uh, working for industry, paying taxes, and keeping mom and dad happy, too. There you go. For listeners, we had lunch before we came over here today and gary i'm gonna butcher your uh your saying but you said you always sell parents on you want your oh kids to be yeah, yeah go ahead you yeah, say yeah it. when i talk to parents i say okay when when you're here my goal is i hope your goal is aligned with mine because you're looking for income benefits and somebody else's payroll and maybe another living location that's not too far away <laughs> if that's not your goal then we've got to talk about what your goals are <laughs> well what's the so the ubia gets passed in um, 2011 what is the funding source from the state that provides well actually let's step back from that a little bit 10.5 million is that right is that the per the year number over t for the program 10.5 per year, so 105 million total. And then the specific funding structure from the state is? It's the lottery funds, so they call it ELARF. Mm -hmm. it's, it's the lottery funds. Okay, very good. And those funds get pushed through commerce, and we work with commerce on what our uh, metrics are for success. Mm -hmm. And I think that might surprise some listeners too, and I think it's more important than it sounds to note that it goes through the Department of Commerce as opposed to Board of Regents or, you know, Department of Education or what have you, commerce. You know, this is, there's a purpose to this money, and it's not just purely academic pursuits for the sake of academic pursuits. As you said earlier, Gary, driven by industry. Right. The whole act is, so I think that's noteworthy. So is all the money in this program state money then? Oh. No. Go ahead, Arvin. Yeah. I, was, I was just going to say that the beauty of this investment is the fact that universities were asked to, to match one to one. I think all of us have actually overmatched. So the state has managed to double their investment and the impact that they've had yeah. based on this. Yeah. You were uh, very diplomatic in saying you were asked to match. Um, is that actually true? Were you asked to match or is it a requirement before you get the state dollars that you match it? It's actually a requirement written into the law. Yeah. But... The amount of money that's that's really matched is multiple times over what we're getting. Yeah. And and the other thing it helps um, when the industry sees that type of commitment from the state, uh, they get energized because they know that they can continue to come to each of our schools for those good grads. Uh, and then that some of that matching money is actually coming from those industries reinvesting into our programs because mm -hmm. our programs wouldn't be as good as they are 
if we if we lived on certain funds alone but having that industry support really enhances the learning environments and i know dennis you see that i've seen your facilities are phenomenal down there yeah so uh we tr we tr really focus on close partnerships close collaboration with industry so and much so that for, we for our listeners we uh, we're which, hearing for wichita state wichita now. state yeah. right uh and so south central kansas and you know wichita is the uh, highest metro area the highest percentage of jobs in manufacturing in the country uh and you know focus primarily on aerospace but there's a lot of other manufacturing there as well and we had a, a golf course that was gifted to the university 50 years ago and it was immediately adjacent and so we now have that golf course it's no longer a golf course it was never a very good golf course <laughs> uh, and uh, now it's an innovation campus and airbus the north american engineering headquarters for the uh airbus is there a european mm -hmm. conglomerate spirits in the same building i am textron and we work with them so that our students can be working in those companies and we want them on campus so that students don't have to drive across town they don't have to drive across the state drive across the country to to have those meaningful experiences they can do it two and three hour blocks because it's right there on campus. What was the data point you shared with us over lunch today about the percentage of your students that are in active internship programs and the statistical breakdown? Yeah, so I mean, w when I started learning about Wichita State before I came here, uh, I was looking at the strategic plan and the, the number one goal in the strategic plan is a, a meaningful applied learning or research experience for not just the honor students, not just the grad students, but for every student. And so we're striving to give that experience to every student. Uh, we can debate how well we do on that, but we're doing pretty well. Uh, and when we do put a, a, a cohort of students in a company, it's usually about 30, 30, 20. 30% 30 of those students get hired by that company immediately. Uh, even companies that say post-recession that we're not hiring, we're not hiring, they were hiring our students because they knew what they were getting. 30% stay in Wichita. So uh, you know, we, we have a real uh, youth exit problem in the state of Kansas. And so by being able to keep them in Kansas, that's 60% right there, uh, or 80% right there. Uh, and then it's uh, the last 20% get jobs immediately, and they tend to leave. Mm -hmm. And so it's... It's a pretty good average, though. Pretty good 80%. average. 80%. Yeah. It's twice as good as Ted Williams' best year. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, I might for, for anybody that's a baseball fan. You know, on some of those numbers, to give you an idea, we all do a scorecard. So every, every November, December, we give a, an update on how many grads we've had and, and how many we have enrolled, et cetera, et cetera. Well, for last academic year, collectively, we graduated 1,565 students. So the goal was 1,365, okay? So, so that's 200 more than the goals. We've actually met the goal a couple of years ahead of time. But the other good thing about that is, because you, you hear a lot in the national news about college grads going out and the debt that they have and they're not getting jobs, but 95 and all of us can say 95 percent of our grads have jobs there's always going to be some students that you're never sure what they're going to do okay. <laughs> <laughs> but but 95 percent and 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 it varies but you know most most of them are going into industry and then some are going on to professional school uh or graduate school but the other side of that is, is they're getting paid very very well i mean the starting salaries range from 55 to 75 some even much higher depending upon where they're where they're working and living so that's a really good success story yeah which uh, is uh, could, sorry oh, yeah. sorry to interrupt i was going to add back onto the matching is that uh us as deans we do a lot of philanthropy and fundraising and we do a lot of that outside the state so the matching that we're producing is actually money from outside the state of kansas that's flowing into it which is, a, which is a great plus, in my opinion. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, all of us, we have some great, great donors that, that believe in us, that, that went to school at our respective schools, and they've moved on to very top-level executive positions. 
and uh, quite frankly, we're all seeing a lot of money coming back, feeding in, but again, because of the excellence that others have seen in our schools, and this, this, this initiative act has continued to fund, to, or continued to support that. Well, a couple of cool things about it, in listening to you guys, I think, one, it's always good, I think every policymaker agrees with this, it's always good if they're going to commit state resources Anytime you can leverage them to bring in additional resources is good. Um, and I know you guys have some data about the number of jobs created, you know, coming out of this investment. Although, in fairness, policymakers do get a little numb to that argument because most folks, you know, have some data to that regard. But not everybody can say tangibly before these dollars get committed by the state it requires a dollar-for-dollar match from the private sector raised by universities. And as you've said, you've not only matched a dollar-for-dollar, you've gone beyond that. And Arvin, to your point, kind of the even sweeter icing on the cake is if you're bringing those dollars from out of state, you know, that really kind of jives with the the beauty of, say, sales tax or gas tax or whatever is, uh, and I know a lot of, might not be a lot of beauty in sales tax and gas tax, <laughs> but in the extent that you can collect it from people coming from out of state, that's money available to help Kansans. That isn't so. Anyway, a yep. little bit of a, a a soapbox there, but it's kind of the best of both worlds in that regard. And Arvin, your comment about leveraging that out of state money—that's pretty awesome. So every time there's a NPR pledge drive, I wait until there's the match mm-hmm. to make the phone call and. and <laughs> give my donation and and you know this is we all want to see force multipliers on our funds and so this is a great example of that yeah maybe that's what we should do on our next podcast we can have a pledge drive we're going to keep broadcasting <laughs> until we raise enough money to get us off the air <laughs> it might not take long with engineers uh, it, it, it would be very quick one one more comment dennis to come back to your internship point and this is this is not trying to elicit a response is just an observation then I want to come back uh, Gary you started to talk about some of the hard metrics of what's been accomplished but Dennis your point of the 30 percent internship uh, 30 percent of people that are in the internship to get a job right out of the gate even if the company is saying we're not hiring right. all of our ACC Kansas members or just about all of them will tell you any day of the week that the best uh hiring and and employment programs they have are their internship programs uh there isn't anybody that wouldn't rather have two years of experience with somebody as an intern and that person's familiarity with that corporate culture i mean it's it's just a huge win so and and what we're hearing post great recession is that companies are hesitant to you know during the recession there was a lot of outsourcing a Mm -hmm. lot of contract work folks are now retiring and uh you know, management saying, well, wait, wait, who's going to pick up where you left off and who, who's, where was the knowledge transferred to? Uh, well, it was transferred to the, the people offshore or the contract folks who are no longer here. And so they're realizing they do need to have a permanent workforce, permanent engineering workforce. Uh, and so there's a real need for, for hiring. But one of the issues has been uh, still a hesitancy to make that commitment hire someone, invest in them, and then they leave. And so they want some permanence there. Mm -hmm. Uh, And by doing internships, and we all do internship, by doing applied learning, by doing these sort of programs and working with our industry partners, uh, people know what they get. And they've lowered that threshold for them to be net revenue positive 
they've learned about the student, the, the potential employee, the student. The, uh, the student has learned about the company. Is it a good fit for him or she? He or she? Uh, and people are making better, more informed decisions. And so that's leading to better hiring decisions and you know, everyone's all happy. And, and, and we as educators love it because these people are doing real work and they're really putting the tools that we're training them with into, into action. Yeah, you know, at the end of the day, I'm about to change gears and come back. Gary started to get into some of the metrics, metrics of success that are documented under the Engineering Initiative Act. But, you know, really, if you simplify it beyond data points, the real world impact is jobs, good jobs. And we'll get into, you know, how that metric is measured here a little bit, too. Uh, and that is really those percentages you talked about earlier, Dennis, are are impressive and uh the impact of that is huge that you got so many of them staying in kansas but anyway i keep dancing all around the data which is what i want to come to next so let's measure uh, the engineering initiatives act gets passed we've got a funding stream we've got matching dollars that are required which have been exceeded so you've got more than double uh, the funds coming in what uh you know, what metrics have you all used to track its success? Gary, you already did talk about there was a specific enrollment number target that's been passed. Um, what are you finding about things like starting salaries, number of these young adults that are staying in the state, any other data points to that regard? Well, there's there's quite a few. I think one of the things that, that, that it, it, it's going to go back to the internships and full-time jobs as well. So, so, so we've, we've talked about the number of, number of students we have enrolled, that's all increased to get the number of grads out. Actually, the other thing that's happened, and we all track this, is retention. Mm. Okay, so retention's been big. It's not just about bringing all new students in, it's retaining those good ones. And there's a lot of students, and I know that my partners here have seen the same thing. Those, those first couple of years are really hard, and, and so part of that message is, yes, it's hard, but we've put programs, and this, and this funding, along with other, those other philanthropic dollars, have allowed us to put things in place so that students don't leave. So we've increased the number of students. We've all just talked about over lunch. We've increased the diversity of our, of our students as well. So we all have more women. We all have under, more underrepresented minorities in, in, the, in our classes and in the pipeline, but also graduating from the programs. Another one that, that um, I'm sure my partners watch as well, I look at our career fairs. So, so we have, we have a, an all-university career fair in the fall, and then we have an engineering-specific one in the spring. And, and from the time we started, about eight years ago until now, uh, the fall career fair used to be two days on, on our campus. Now it's three. Day three is only for engineering majors, and day uh, two is a mix of, of engineering and other majors because they just had, they've had so much demand. And this is a change from 10 years ago. This, oh, yeah. It used to be just two days, and whoever was here on day one or day two, it didn't matter. And the other thing that happened is, is that in our engineering only career fair that we hold in the spring i used to do it all on one day and i've had to go to two days because of the demand i'll go back a few years where there was a little bit of a, a slump in the economy and students had jobs they might not have had two or three offers but that came back super strong they all had a job and then today uh, i think the other thing we're seeing is that our students are getting job offers for next summer now right and some of them are getting those internship offers for next summer now, right, right now. And that's also a, a sizable change that's from a, 10 oh, years yeah. ago. Oh, it's a huge change. It, yeah, it, so I want to build on what Gary was saying about retention. I mean, I, the good students are going to be successful pretty much 
no matter what. Uh, there are some students that uh, are not as well prepared, and we have a huge amount of wraparound services for them to support them. Uh, and the we'll get into the details of how the investments used, but, but a large part of it goes to providing those services to support those students. Uh, and for me, we, we I'm sure we all track statistics on the impact of the things that we do. We, we measure everything. If a student comes into an event that we have where we're bribing them with free food to show up for something, <laughs> we check them in. Uh, if, you know, if, we, if they show up at our free tutoring center, we call it Geeks, we check them in. And we measure the impact of all of these. And the, the number one indicator that we have for retention, whether they're going to come back the next semester, is whether or not they show up at Geeks. Because if they show up in there to get help, and engineering's hard, they show up there to get help one time, they're going to show up 15 times that semester. And they're going to get the help they need, and that's the best predictor we have. And so all these things come from the investments coming from the uh, Engineering Act. Well, let's just go ahead and use that segue, and let's get into what these dollars fund. Um, and, you know, our listeners are pretty savvy bunch. They'll know this already, but it's not always black and white. It's not, you know, to some extent the revenue is all going to an objective and how each pot is used is is in some ways not really all that critical it's just that you've got enough mass to reach that objective at the end but having said that talk a little bit about where that money does go um, you know in order to hit these higher graduation rates obviously you need more instructors you need more facilities and to hit the employment targets you have you're obviously having to be competitive to get quality uh, instructors, resources, recruiting—you name it. How does how does the Engineering Initiatives Act funding get implemented and utilized? I, I can speak about that a, a bit. Uh, in order to to increase uh, our size, we have to have facilities, we have to have classrooms, we have to have state lab art laboratories, and we need to have additional faculty to help teach. Uh, you need to have additional staff. You need to have additional graduate teaching assistants. So, so we have been able to use this investment to sort of increase uh, our, our, our the size of our facilities and number of our faculty. In order to hire engineering faculty, you need to make sure they're successful, which means you have to have the right startup packages to provide them with what it takes to be successful as faculty. We have to have more scholarship dollars available to, to fund our students. So th th I think we've used this money in a variety of ways to, 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 to help us with all those categories. Yeah. So uh, one of the things that we do all the same things, and, and you know, so the scholarship dollars made me think of something that we're doing. Again, I'm telling you that we track everything. And, and at Wichita State, we're 47% first-generation students across the whole campus. And so what that means is students who self-identify as being the first in their family lineage to go to university are first-gen. I'm first-gen, and I didn't know what I didn't know. Uh, I didn't know the different capabilities that were there to, su to support me, the things I could reach out for for support, help, assistance, uh, both academic, but also just, uh, you know, when things get tough, how to persevere and move on through. And so we have a program that's called ACE, and I forget what the acronym stands for, but it was a peer mentoring program where we were matching incoming students to a mentor to help them learn about everything. This was for all students. And there was some statistically significant increase in retention for the people who participated in ACE, but it was only about three, per three points. But for our first-gen students, it was nearly over 20% uh, that was sort of helping them. And because of the, uh, the UEIA, I was able then to see, to see the data, to see the impact that this program has. It's a critical part of our mission to support first-gen students because we have so many of them. 
I was able to invest heavily in scholarships to, to further and double down on that and sort of now I'm bribing them with a scholarship. These are the things that we think will make you more successful. We'll give you the scholarship to help you through that and put some accountability behind it uh, and we'll measure the impact as we go forward. And so, so having this support, th this flexibility to support our students is, is critical. I'll make one editorial comment and then I want to move on to, to one more question about Kansas and our, our place in the country vis-a-vis -vis this act. But one thing we also talked about a little bit at lunch, it can be, oh, frustrating is probably a strong word, but sometimes, as with any issue, you know, if the wrong data point without further explanation gets out, there's a real power of misperception. And one of the things you hear, Arvin mentioned it earlier lunch today, uh, bonds. You know, so much... Go, might go to payback bonds and I think sometimes the public hears that and they think well that's not really going to students or if it's bonds we don't know what it's going on or those are just buildings and in reality I made the comment earlier that it really is all going into one pool at the end of the day with one objective you know good graduates good education good job opportunities and bonds are the investments that we're talking about right here they fund the infrastructure that you need and it frees up dollars that you'd otherwise have to use on infrastructure to now use on competitive salaries and scholarships and so again that's not to elicit a response it's just no more but of a thank personal, you for saying it yeah absolutely it's just a personal observation sometimes it can be frustrating when people they hear that and they just don't connect all the dots of what that really means i want to tie into that though so on the po the other positive side though I, I know for us, and I'm sure for the other schools as well, so we've built these facilities. We had to have them to handle the extra heads and, and, and seats that we needed to educate these students. I'm going back to the partnership that we have with alumni and, and companies because they see those facilities and they see the need there, and then they're providing some of those other philanthropic dollars to use as some discretionary support to buy pizza and sub sandwiches <laughs> to bring those students in. It, it, that's a, hey, that's a big part of college Absolutely. life. Absolutely, yeah. sure If you is. want them to come, put out some food, and they'll, they'll By come. the way, Gary, we still use that as an effective tool for staff meetings here at the <laughs> okay, office. Okay, yeah, it doesn't change. No, yeah. it doesn't, yeah. But you know that, but but that, it, it, it's all this partnership in dollars that, that kind of help because I guarantee we've gotten some monies lately of people that are seeing things and say, hey, I want to continue this. I like the excitement of what I see. And if we didn't have the facilities and some of the other support ahead of time to start it, we would have never been there. Yeah, absolutely. People like to support winners. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> true story. And engineering uh, is, you know, it's a fast-moving, fast-evolving discipline, right? And so, you know, what we were teaching our students in any type of engineering a decade ago is not necessarily what we're teaching them now. There's, there's clearly some fundamentals that have conserved but technology is evolving uh, the way we do things uh, the type of equipment that we use is evolving and we have to be able to prepare our students and we have to have some capital investments to be able to give students that those learning opportunities absolutely if you want to be competitive well and it can't you, you can't have there are certain classes you can have a 200 to 300 seat lecture hall and it's fine for some of those types of topics but most of our topics are, are there's an awful lot of critical thinking and hands-on problem-solving and we can't go with those large rooms. And then when we've got labs, you know, there's again, more hands-on learning and, and the, the facilities that are needed to do those so that those students are ready to go into the workforces. Again, it, it just costs a lot more because you don't have as many heads in that particular room. Yeah. And what the, the non-engineer may not know is that, uh, you know, we're all accredited by, by ABET and, and the, the 
one of the elements of that is that we have to demonstrate that the students can put into practice the tools that we've given them for doing engineering design problems. So we all have engineering capstones where they have uh, a design challenge that over the course of that class, maybe one semester or two semesters depending on the, on the program, you know, they've had to solve some real engineering problem, present it, troubleshoot it, uh, and, and, and solve that problem. And so that requires having all kinds of raw materials for them to be able to then you know, put those, those, those things that we've taught them into practice. So let's look, we've been looking back, you know, when we talked about how the Engineering Initiative Act came to be and was passed, and we talked a little bit about the present or the recent past in terms of how those funds have been used and leveraged and brought in, you know, additional dollars. Let's forecast a little bit now. What do you gentlemen see uh, for the future? What challenges... Uh, will pop up that are new uh, to recruiting, retaining, uh, what opportunities are going to be there that haven't been before, what is the, what changes are you seeing in demand from industry and employers, are you seeing demand rising or sinking, uh, what, uh, what does your crystal ball tell you? So I'll take the first stab at that, I mean, uh, for sure engineering demand uh, is at least where it was before, and, and I think we all agree that it's actually growing. Uh, even with the dramatic increase in graduates? Even with our dramatic increase, in, we're still not meeting the demand. And yeah. so, and so uh, you know, there's a lot of engineering in the whole state, uh, a lot of manufacturing in the whole state, a lot of, uh, you know, there's a growing tech area. You know, we talk about the Silicon Prairie, and it's really not just a, a, a buzzword. It really does exist. And, and so uh, there's a lot of need. And uh, that need is, you know, we're making a big dent in it, but it, but it's still growing. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's the challenge is that state of Kansas is not necessarily growing at the same rate. And so we have real enrollment concerns as we go forward. And so all of us are, are thinking about how we do the, the term of art in our discipline is called strategic enrollment management. How do we uh, bring in students and, and get them trained so that we can meet those workforce demands? Uh, and, and some of the, one of the things that we're doing is uh, we're actively recruiting out of state and we're investing heavily to bring students from out of state, largely from Texas and Oklahoma, but also Missouri and, and, and Colorado uh, with the hope, and we're seeing this because we're several years into it, that they actually stay and they solve the Kansas workforce demands. Uh, because I'm a recent Kansas transplant. I didn't have it was it wasn't high on my list of places I wanted to move to and it's a but it's a great place and people love it and when they get jobs they set down you know they put down roots and uh, it furthers and advances the, the state tell you a, a random anecdote that doesn't have to do directly with today's podcast but if you'll humor me it will tie back into that exact comment because for those of us that grew up in Kansas as I did, it's not uncommon to have somebody come from out of state and say it was not high on my list until I got here, but now I see it. Um, I went through the state's Leadership Kansas program back in 06, and we made pit stops around the state, and one of them was in Hayes, Kansas. And they have an amazing medical center out there in Hayes, um, particularly when you consider you know, the limited population there and how far it is from other population centers. It's just unbelievable what they have. And we were talking to one of the senior people at the hospital, and he was saying, as you'll hear employers say, you know, our, our best skill here is our people. we got the facilities, but it's the quality people, da 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 And the punchline is, he said, do you want to know what our biggest challenge is in recruiting the best people to come here? It's Rand McNally. 
the company that makes <laughs> maps. He said, because we'll talk to people, we'll send them information, they get the kit, they see the photos, they talk to our team, they're excited, and then they open up a map and they see Hayes and where it's located. And, you know, we lose so many of them where if they will actually come here, then we never lose them at all. And I think on a more local scale, that speaks to your comment directly, Dennis, that even if Kansas isn't high on your list, when you haven't been here, once you get here, we proud Kansans revel in the fact that it, uh, it, it becomes obvious once you arrive. You know, I, yeah. I'm going to chime in on that because we've been here 25 years. We, we came from the southeast, and uh, we have loved it. We could not have imagined a better place to raise our family. been awesome. Yeah. And when, when people had told me, they said, oh, you, you're moving to the middle of nowhere. And I said, no, I'm moving to the middle of everywhere. That's a great answer. <laughs> yeah, I love yeah, that. Yeah, that's a great answer. Well, let's uh, come back to the question. Let's just go around the table. So, Dennis, you weighed in on some of the future opportunities and challenges and what things might look a little bit different. Arvin, we'll just let each of you take a, a bite okay. at the apple here. Okay. What, what I would like to add is that uh, we like to keep up to date with, with industry needs and, and tools and technology. So, in engineering, you can't say I've built in laboratories and now we're done because you have to be state-of-the-art. So the investments have to continue. We've built great facilities, but we need to continue to upgrade and update our teaching labs and our research labs. So as we move forward, I think these investments have to continue to, to make sure that we have, we have the latest and the best. Yeah, nothing stays so the same. Nothing stays, especially in engineering. Yeah. Gary? I, I was going to ditto that, and then really the, the, the part of the, the students today are actually a little bit different than they were five, six years ago. And, and Do they look younger every year? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they look younger. I don't know. No, I, yeah, maybe that's it. Their learning styles are a little different, and, and we adjust to that. But part of that is that retention and, and, and continuing that. I, I think that I'm excited because I think there's technology that we have today that's going to reach out to a broader audience. What we actually need to do is figure out and working with our schools, and we have great school teachers around the state, and how we plug that seed early on so that those students early on are taking as much math and as much science as they can to make whatever choice they want to, but we, we just want them to be as prepared as they can as they go through middle school and into high school so that so that uh, they can really consider engineering or some other STEM field uh, as a possible career choice. Yeah. Well, one thing, maybe we'll wrap up with this, one thing that became clear talking to all of you earlier at lunch today before we came in to record. So mission accomplished in some ways on the initial goalposts for the Engineering Initiative Act specifically in terms of the number of graduates. Uh, you know, You set a threshold of 1350 and you met it ahead of your schedule but I think one of the strongest takeaways I have from our time together today is that you know sometimes you set a metric like that and you meet it and and really you're done but in this case one thing I heard from all of you consistently is yes we've met that metric but what we found is that the pressure valve for the need for engineers and the lack of talented, educated engineers to fill those needs is just as intense today at today's graduation numbers as it was back when the UEIA was passed. Absolutely. Absolutely. Exactly right. And, yeah. uh, and really, Scott, I, I also want to say that we, we also, we can't do this without the industry support. 
because they're the ones that are, we need, we're not just filling an empty pipeline. There's a pipeline that has a true need, and we appreciate their support. We appreciate the support of ACEC, and, and it's been a continued partnership all along the way. Yeah. And so thank you for all that you've done for us and what you continue to do to help us out. Well, very, very kind of you to say so. We're glad to do it. You know, our member firms depend on that pipeline, and, you know, anecdotally, I hear it every day from our members. You know, they're one of their biggest hurdles is just finding people with the qualifications to fill the spots they need. Um, and I'll give a shout out while we're here to uh, KSPE. You know, ACEC's always been invested in this, and we were in the trenches for the first effort to get it passed. Um, but we are really, you know, sort of the the backup player there, KSPE, the Kansas Society of Professional Engineers is the lead dog uh, in the trench on this um, from the political advocacy side. So I uh, want to give them some well-deserved credit while we're here for that, too. Well, gentlemen, it's been a blast to have you by. I have really enjoyed spending the day with all of you. Um, if we had more time, I'd love to share all the other things I was able to learn visiting with you today. You know, if we had more yep. time, I would like to talk about who has a better basketball team, but I'm going uh, <laughs> you know, you know, to we, let that one go. Arvin, <laughs> we can make a little more time here. Let's not, let's not rush a good thing. I would love for us to have a game against each other every year. <laughs> you mean engineers versus engineers? Yeah, sure. <laughs> we could do that, too. <laughs> you know, I don't know if it still happens, but for years it seems there's always a legislator that brings a bill that would mandate that KU and Wichita State play each other. Piece of state legislation, of all things. Uh, so it's, it's, it's good that important issues are being tackled. Right. I will note, Gary, you are a beacon of diplomacy and restraint over there, given that you all actually won the basketball conference championship last year it and, was awesome to and, watch and yet yeah. you've you've remained humbly quiet thank you this. for not bringing that right <laughs> <laughs> you wear your greatness with ease gary that, uh, uh, well guys thanks so much for coming by what a great time and um, a great and very critical topic for kansas moving forward and Listeners, I hope you've enjoyed learning more about it. A lot of you probably knew um, some of the broad strokes of this, but I hope you've enjoyed learning more about the real impact of the state of Kansas and our employers here. And, guys, thanks for your role in making all that happen and for making time to come by. Thank you for having you us. Bet. Thank yep, you. Absolutely. All right, listeners, thank, thank you, you for tuning in. We will catch you on the next episode of the QBS Express. Thank you.